I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment sits down with Robert Saik, CEO of Dot Technologies, which was acquired by Raven after this podcast was recorded. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. It's also now available on Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, Casey and Robert discuss where the next five to 10 years of technology and agriculture are going to go and how we'll continue to feed the ever-booming population. This week, my guest is one I'm pretty excited about because this is my favorite, favorite topic to talk about, talking about the future of agriculture and then how autonomous vehicles and robotics would play in that. So I'm fortunate to have Robert Syke. I said your name right, right, Robert? That's correct. All right, Robert Syke. He's the CEO of Dot Technologies, and you might be familiar with that if you've seen it on Twitter. That's C. Run. Uh, the out there of autonomous vehicle that actually is a, uh, a vehicle that plugs into different implements and goes out and does some work. So super excited to talk to Robert today. He's got a book out as well called Food 5.0. So, Robert, welcome to the Moving Iron Podcast. Good to be on Moving Iron. I appreciate that, man. Well, Robert, give me a little background on yourself. Talk to me about who you are and, and how you got to where you're at today. Uh, background, uh, like a lot of the people working in agriculture, farm kid, uh, started farming when I was 14 on my own with a small loan, graduated from the University of Alberta in agriculture, pretty much moved into entrepreneurialism and agriculture, uh, bought a farm in uh, 1981, just missed the peak of the land prices and pretty much hit the high of the interest rates right on the mark. Why anybody would sign a loan for 21% interest rates beyond me, but I did. Anyway, did that for a while, built several fertilizer and agri-retailers, worked in the sulfur industry. My background is plant physiology, soil chemistry, and crop nutrition. Began building the AgriTrend and the AgriData groups in 1997, sold them to Trimble, exited from that in 2018, joined DOT in January 2019 to provide leadership services to the robotic platform, also simultaneously built AgVisor Pro and released a book this last year. So other than that, not much going on. Pretty laid back, not a lot of things on the old plate there. Talk to me about your book a little bit. Start there. Food 5.0. So talk to me about your book. Talk to me about what the idea behind that was and what a reader is going to gain from that. Yeah, it's a good place to start. The reason that I wrote it, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, it was really written for an urban audience, but the, everybody in the farming community that's read it loves the book. But it takes us on a journey through the five iterations of agriculture, those being the age of muscle, the age of machine, the age of chemistry, the age of biotechnology, and the age that we're going to talk about today, which, Casey, is the age of convergence, where all the technology converges on the farm at the same time. And I take the reader on a journey. Food 5.0 is about how we feed the future, and it's really written about farms of consequence. The listeners to this podcast, those farmers that are making a living farming, not the hobby guys on the edge of the city, nothing wrong with that. It's just that this book was written about the 0.2% of the population, not 2%, but the 0.2% that grows 80% of the food. And so the book has been well received and it really talks about my journey in agriculture through all the different iterations. 
and kind of ends up where we're at now. And I predict where we're headed in the future. Okay. So that's a great point to that last statement that you made about the uh, 0.2% that grows 80% of the food. And that number is uh, rapidly growing, right? So if you take a look at all the information that we see out there, as far as land goes, um, the two segments that are actually growing in size on as far as farms go are basically how the USD breaks down greater than 2,000 acres and then basically the hobby farmer, if you will, the 100 or less acre farm guy out there. As these farmers get bigger and we start seeing this stuff grow, the lack of labor that, that plagues every industry, whether it's agriculture or natural gas or energy and whomever it might be, that lack of labor that we see out there, we're starting to really see the autonomous vehicle really start to ramp up and speed up and grow in, in overall demand. I think more so in agriculture than any other industry. I guess, what are your thoughts on that? And is that, and I mean, that's, I have no real, that's just me kind of looking in on the industry, looking at that. Would you agree with that statement? And would you think that that's a, a rapidly growing segment compared to other industries? Yeah, I think that's a good segue into this section. Again, Casey, the reality at farm level is that the cost of running a farming operation continues to increase. So economies of scale, in other words, with a combine costing close to a million bucks, you got to put a lot of bushels through it. So economies of scale are continuing to force farmers to get larger. It's just the way that business works. The other side of the equation that's going on is these farms are often in remote or rural areas. And so consequently, while they're getting bigger and the cost of capitalization is getting greater, the access to qualified labor is decreasing. So you've got these two things in Canada. A recent report came out from the Royal Bank of Canada that says in the next 10 years, we're going to have 123,000 job vacancies at farm level in Canada, it'll cost our country $11 billion. You multiply that by 10 in the United States to give you an idea of the pinch point of labor shortage on the farm. And undoubtedly, that's leading to the interest in autonomy at farm level. It's not a question of if autonomous comes to farming. It's a question of when farmers start looking at that as an option for their operation. So the autonomous side of this, so I every time on Twitter, I see some new machine out there. The other day I saw one and it was a weeding machine. So it's rolling down the roads and it had little claws that would come out. It would go down and pick out various weeds that were in there. And obviously that would be for pulse crops and those kind of things, those higher value crops, those things you see out there like strawberries, tomatoes, those kind of things. Yep. But you think this isn't an option right now. So you start seeing that grow. What's the timeline here? I have a lot of people that I talk with, and a couple of years ago, I made a bet with a guy that, you know, basically this gentleman's bet, going you know, to buy lunch one day. But in five years, we were going to have our first fully autonomous vehicle, whether that's cabless or not, but a fully autonomous vehicle that we were going to trade in, and it was going to be a used piece of equipment that we were going to have on our lot. That would have been in 2018. So I've got three more years. You're, you're going to win the bet. That's what I like to hear. All right. So are we looking at exponential growth here as far as timelines go? I mean, it seems like every year that we get one step closer and then halfway through the year, we get another step closer. And then by the time two years have gone by, what was two or three years ago is almost unrecognizable compared to where we're at now. Okay, so you've touched on a few things. Uh, Robotics has entered farming in a fairly large way with several different players 
working in the high value vegetable, maybe the vineyard or even the greenhouse operations. Those are by and large small robots and you see a lot of them on YouTube and Twitter and so on. Dot is not a small robot. Uh, Dot, by the way, is named after the inventor, Norbert Bougeau's mother, Dorothy. She had nine kids, so she's a multitasker. So Dot was named after Dorothy. And Dot is not a small machine. It's a 173 horsepower tier four Cummins diesel engine. It's a U-shaped device, a U-shaped platform, four hydrostatically independently driven tires, a walking beam axle, and it's capable of a payload of 40,000 pounds. And Dot is a robust piece of equipment uh, without a cab, without a hitch pin, and Dot provides connectivity or Dot cradles the dot-ready pieces of equipment. So it's capable of connecting to a variety of dot-ready implements, allowing the farmer to do multiple autonomous operations on his farm throughout the course of the growing season. So for those of you that aren't familiar with what the dot system is, I mean, check it out. Go to Twitter, look at C.Run, and then what's your website? Best website. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like C Spot Run, S-E-E, C.Run, R-U-N.com, or on Twitter at S-E-E dot D-O-T run, C dot run. And you'd follow it there. You'd get a hand, you get an idea what the configuration looks like. The most popular video that I've watched concerning the dot system is they're hooking into an air seeder or a box drill, one of the two. I think it's box drill. And the box drill system works there. And I, I'm, I'm guessing it to be about 25 feet. Is that kind of a rough? Yeah, it's actually a 300 bushel seed master drill with a, called a 30-foot single rank drill unit with 300 bushel capacity that can be utilized for uh, small grains, oil seeds, can be used for cover crops. So I think there's going to be a market for that. So that's one of the first pieces of equipment that's come out, uh, Casey, but there are several more. Yep. And the unique thing about this piece of equipment compared to others, like you were talking about, it actually integrates in with the implement that it's using. It actually goes in and hooks in there. And for all intents and purposes, as you see drive through the field, it looks like a box drill on two wheels that's just kind of going through the field by itself. There's nothing. Yeah, box drill on, on four wheels, exactly, yep. going through the field by Yeah. Not and being it, pulled, it, being pushed. It's all integrated as part as one. Yeah, the interesting thing is as a reader, if they imagined a U-shaped device docking or connecting and we call it cradling, actually. It cradles that drill, but it just as easily could cradle like a brand new new liter 16 section variable rate spreader. It can connect to a grain cart. It could connect to a planter. And we're debuting, we should talk a little bit about the planter that we debuted, 12 row corn planter. It could connect to a sprayer. We've got a 120 foot Patterson Connect sprayer. All of the bells and whistles, Casey. And this 120-foot sprayer, it allows the farmer to do a completely 100% autonomous spraying operation. I mean, you got turn compensation, instant boom on, variable rate technology, all of it's built in. And it's a fraction of the cost because it's uh, Canadian dollars. It's about 530,000 Canadian dollars, which is about four, I don't know, 400,000 U.S., but you compare that to a high clearance sprayer that's 675,000 Canadian or more. And then the weight of that high clearance self-prepared sprayer is like 54,000 pounds. 
And this 1,600-gallon Patterson Connect sprayer with DOT is like 34,000 pounds. So you got a lot of things going there in that sentence. You've got reduced CapEx. You've got reduced weight. You've got reduced operational costs because we're only blowing off about less than five gallons of diesel an hour. Makes it really economical to run. And then there's no operator on it. You've got no driver. We'll get back to Casey and Robert in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Robert discuss the efficiencies of DOT and how the technology will free up the farmer to do other things. They also discuss how this sort of technology can change the career path and attract more young people to farming. So as robotics start hit the farm and we're starting to see that, like you said there, that machine's smaller than the typical machine that you see out there. Are you saying that DOT is smaller or are you, are yeah. you saying that yeah, it is yeah. not? I'm not, I'm not saying that it is because that 120 foot sprayer goes up against anything else in the marketplace. Not, not implement size wise, but actual machine size wise, smaller than the actual sprayer so, you know, or tractor or whatever it is. That's kind of been my hinge point in this whole conversation is always comes back to as machines get to have a more autonomy and robotics become a bigger thing that the machines that are in the field are going to get smaller and they're going to be more machines working in a single field than one bigger machine. What's your thought on that? And I guess, how would you kind of reflect on that? Yeah, I'm following what you're saying now. And that is accurate. By springtime, Casey, we're going to be showcasing doing at least three demonstrations in Maricopa, Arizona at the University of Arizona this winter in January, February, and March. And farmers will be able to see it. And our objective coming out of this winter's testing at the University of Arizona will be to have multiple dots in the field. So for example, you could have one operator, basically one dot technician on your farm, and he could be running three dots in the field simultaneously. So three 30-foot drills or three 12-foot planters or a spin spreader and a sprayer going at the same time or maybe uh, a dot uh, seeder seeding cover crops while it's simultaneously you're harvesting corn, soybeans. So these are the kind of ideas, and you're right, uh, the idea there would be to have more dots in the field as opposed to five, 600 horsepower, 120 foot drills or 40 foot, uh, 50 foot corn planters. Yeah, what's the big thing right now? I mean, obviously there's a long ways to go with the technology and build some stuff there, but how long is it until we have good enough battery operated that's kind of the thing. If it's the whole 24-7, 365 approach to farming that these machines will be able to do. When you look at battery life and being able to recharge those batteries in the field or what that looks like, how far are we away from that really stepping forward into the mix and really bringing that? You could have, a, as long as you can keep the planter full, you can run it 24-7. Well, we believe we can do that now. And again, just to be clear, our unit is powered by 173 horsepower tier four Cummins. I have no doubt that sooner or later electric will come in. We just didn't see the advantage in going that way as we've right. got about an 85% transfer rate down to the hydrostatic wheels. So we just felt that we didn't have to go in that direction. DOT has about an 80 gallon fuel tank on it. So it'll allow a person to run for a pretty good long day. Should be able to run like around 10 hours or so. And uh, the recharging, which you're referring to, is of course an issue that we 
think that we can autonomize that refilling eventually as well. If you had a tender unit parked at the edge of the field, you would think that eventually we could program DOT so that it backed up and was able to refill with fertilizer and seed autonomously. That's one of the big challenges, but hell, they fuel F-18s in the air uh, <laughs> at right. 30,000 at 50,000 feet. So you'd think we'd be able to get fertilizer into a machine. Anyway, right. that'll come. But the, uh, the real big things we're cracking right now are the ability for us to utilize the technology such as LIDAR, radar, photometrics in the field, make sure that we have safety is paramount. Also making sure that we can have multiple DOT operations in the field and then eventually have dot interface seamlessly with other pieces of equipment. You could have a corn planter and a tractor in a field doing the headlands and dot could actually fill in the middle. You could have uh, three combines in the field and five dots with grain carts going back and forth between the combines and communicating with them. So all of these variations are challenges we're faced with and opportunities to make farming more efficient. Right. Now, this is the one thing that I find to be the most intriguing part of it is how do you get, so you talked about having three dots in the field and having those three dots be operated, but not operated, but more or less overseen by a single individual. How are you set up now with your dots to where they're going to be communicating with each other and see how each other places on a map and, and all those things to know what's been planned, where and overlap and all that fun stuff? Yeah, you've asked some good questions there. Right now, what we have to do, we have to make a farm DOT ready when we bring DOT onto a farming operation. By that, I mean, we have to make sure that we have the boundary maps. We uh, also make sure that we map out any obstacles in the field, trees or old rock piles or things like that. We also, if there's a gully or a gulch in the field where you want to slow down, we call those school zones and we programmed those school zones. So once we programmed in the school zones, the obstacles and the boundary, we have the software that uh, develops the path planning and DOT will actually, based on the size of the implement, start to automatically plan the path in the field to most efficiently seed or spray or spread that field. And this is where we're headed with the multiple DOT operations. If you think in your mind about perhaps the headlands are done, Casey, and you've got a call it a 30-foot rig, and that dot goes down the field, but it doesn't turn back on itself. It turns 60 feet over, and the next dot coming down fills in the gap. I mean, we're, we're all GPS. We're sub-inch accuracy. If dot veers more than three feet off of her AB line, it stops. That's one of our fail-safes. But the accuracy is being delivered through Raven and the Raven GPS systems. And so the ability to have dot or multiple dots complete swaths between other dots that passes that it's left behind. An interesting story is when we were working on going around sloughs, our programmers started having dot work like five passes from outside the slough toward the slough. So us farm guys are saying, well, that's not the way you do it. You start at the slough and you work out. And the programmers are going, well, geez, if you start five passes away from the slough, And uh, we know exactly how to move dot towards the slough. As it gets towards the slough, it gets lighter. It doesn't get heavier. And if it starts to spin, then you're not going to get stuck. It's going to stop ahead of you getting stuck. And so there's some really neat and innovative ways of tackling field operations 
once you start thinking about the implementation of GIS and into DOT? All the stuff that you guys have working on now, all the accomplishments that you made and the things that you're working forward to now, because I believe it's the 2020 model year, right? That's when you're going to roll this. So all the stuff that you've done so far and everything you have, what's the most amazing thing when you look back on it? What's the most amazing thing that you, when you look at your DOS system right now and you're like, wow, that's really amazing that we've made up, been able to do that. We've got a number of dots that we've sold to farmers and delivered to farmers in the field. This fall, we were planting some winter wheat with a dot, Seedmaster, a 30-foot single-rank drill. The farmer's name is Derek. And when dot starts to really perform, and it's just going up and down the field seeding, and the farmer isn't in the tractor. And instead, what he's doing is he's leaving his pickup truck, and he's going in and looking at the depth and the seed placement and the fertilizer and all that kind of stuff. And just starting to grin, just starting to grin ear to ear that something is happening in the field and he's not in the glass cage. It's just doing it by itself. To me, I know you'd be expecting me to say something technical or whatever, but it wasn't. It's the people side of things. And Derek's grandpa every day kept saying, when's that dot getting here? When's that dot getting here? Because he wanted to see that autonomous robot working in the field. And I think that the real exciting thing is to see, we call it path to autonomy. It frees the farmer up from the cab and allows him to do other things, whatever that might be. And when that happens and the farmer starts to grin, that's the magic moment. Yeah, that would be pretty neat to just watch that. From a generational perspective, as you look back on what you had, so you had Grandpa talking to grandson about looking to wait to see this autonomous thing take hold. That being said, there's a generational gap there. I kind of talk about this generation now where we're on the cusp of a, of a generational turnover, right? So you've got either Grandpa and Dad have been in it long enough, and now Son's yeah. coming. And Son is really kind of the one that's going to be – grandson's actually the one that's going to be taking it over because by the time – Grandpa passes and, and, and dad takes back in. He's going to be kind of towards the tail end of his career and grandson's going to be kind of the next generation coming in. That generational turnover, I think, is where we're going to start seeing a lot more of this acceptance of things like Dot and those kind of working. As you focus on your customer base and as you look out the future, how are you marketing this? Who are you marketing to? I mean, how, how do you go out and get those, those people that you're trying to, to really target? I mean, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think you've actually, you've hit that accurately nail on the head. We don't need to have, uh, we're not going after the big base. We don't need all the farmers. We need those farmers that are early adopters, innovators, that, that are really looking to leverage technology in a manner that will move their farm again into that next level of growth. You've also said something very important. It's very hard to get young people excited about sitting in tractors for 12 or 13 hours a day that are auto steered and basically all you're doing is monitoring computer screens and hanging out on Twitter. We need our young people better engaged, engaged in a deeper manner. And I think the challenge for young people today, and I say this all the time, is agriculture is desperate for systems integrators, for people who have the knowledge to be able to assist farmers as they move into autonomous fleets that's a pretty exciting career path. And I think it's going to be very appealing to some of these really bright kids that are coming back to the farm or people wanting to work in agriculture. That's a new career path. That's a new way of farming. Again, I respect where we've come from. I get it that a lot of people really 
enjoy the operational side of their farming operation. But from efficiency standpoint, does it make sense to take our greatest grain power and trap them in a glass cage for hours on end when there's another way of doing it? And so some people will take offense with what I just said, and that's okay. But the reality is I think that autonomy in farming is, is not a if question. It's just a when question. Right. So what's the future look like? Five years from now, we come back on the podcast and me and you are sitting across from each other five years from now. What's the, what conversation are we going to be having then? Well, I think uh, there's several overlapping things. One of the things that I did this last year is started a company called AgVisor Pro. It's another thing that folds into this conversation, Casey, because access or farmer access to really deep domain knowledge in agriculture is getting harder. And so AgVisor Pro is like the uberization of knowledge and wisdom. It connects farmers instantaneously to experts anywhere in the world in real time to solve problems like technical problems, could be robotic problems, could be equipment problems, could be agronomic, farm management, or even mental health issues. And so I think in five years, we're going to continue to see a decline in deep domain expertise at farm level. I mean, we're churning out a lot of kids out of schools, but uh, fewer and fewer of them are farm kids. And more and more of them don't know what a three-point hitch is from harrows, from cultivators, from a strip tiller, and all this kind of stuff. And so the domain knowledge continues to decline. So AgVisor Pro has been designed to help support that, even between companies and farmers. And I think in five years, Casey, we're going to see farms out there that'll have exponentially grown with DOT. So in Western Canada, if you take a a 30,000-acre farm, they're going to buy a dot right now and they're going to try it out and test it. And then if that works, they're going to turn part of their farm, call it, they'll buy three dots and they'll have 3,000 acres or 4,000 acres, uh, maybe maybe more, maybe 9,000 acres. It'll be dot acres. And if that works, then they're going to be a dot farm and they'll go into 10 and 12 dot units on their farming operation running autonomously. So you're going to see that kind of scaling happen at farm level And you're going to again see those farms that adopt this technology separate themselves from those that aren't. So you brought up a point about the uberization of information, kind of what you're talking about there. And I brought up the idea that as autonomous vehicles become bigger and bigger part of the overall landscape, that there could be a the lack of ownership for tractors can drop down and have more of a an Uber type mentality of I need five tractors a day to go plant this field or work this field or whatever that whatever they're doing you ever see anything like that taking place where there could be a giant just co-op of tractors and i need 100 tractors and they get put on the farm that way well i like the way your brain has gone i mean the one of the issues uh, or one of the opportunities that we've actually been toying with is we've been getting calls from large fertilizer retailers and large co-ops in the united states because if you think about it, Casey, a lot of these custom applicators that are doing work for farmers are doing the work year after year. They know the fields very well. So why couldn't that custom applicator become a dot custom applicator? Why couldn't a co-op all of a sudden just offer its spraying services? Uh, why couldn't it offer its fertilizer spreading services? Why couldn't it do cover crop or custom seeding using dot? Of course it could. As the technology on dot increases, such as utilizing visual guidance instead of GPS to guide dot up and down cornfields, you know that that doesn't work when you're custom spraying. you got to be between 
the corn or soybean rows, why don't we just use our LIDAR radar visual recognition to guide that dot up and down the field and drive better than a human being, actually? We think that will happen. So it's going to open up a brand new way for farmers to get the work done through, I think, affiliations with custom applicators that are dot ready. Okay, so that leads to my next question then. What happens to the custom combine run and the custom harvesters, forage harvester guys, as this flow of robotics and autonomous vehicles take place? Well, you'd have to ask that question of the real big boys, like the greens, the blues, and the yellows, because still, when you're considering DOT being 173 horsepower, we're going to be equipped to provide grain handling. In other words, you could put a grain grain cart on DOT, and you could have three or four or five DOTs picking up grain from combines. That would be all autonomous. But for the harvesting operation itself, the horsepower requirements are still pretty big. But you and I both know that inside that combine right now, there's a lot of set it and forget it stuff in the combine. You can have GPS guidance right now on your straight cutters or your even your windrowed uh, harvesters. And even I've seen it on corn harvesters, not to the same extent, but a lot of the settings are set it and forget it. So we're not that far away from essentially having a person sitting in the combine and basically handling the unload and monitoring the operation Again, we're not in that space today. I I don't think you can get there with our 173 horsepower per se. Yeah. Yeah. My vision's always been that as autonomy takes hold and my Uberization of equipment, those kind of things start to take place. I had this vision in my head of a line of combines starting in South Texas and that are autonomous and they just kind of just like a giant bunch of grasshoppers just take off and start going all the way up to Canada and well, you know, that's a vision, but lots and lots of stuff goes into that vision. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen autonomous harvesting equipment for broad acre agriculture, but it's undoubtedly somebody's working on it. So we will see it. Right. I've always thought about that, like how are you going to, to do that? Because sooner or later, there'll be a point when you're not going to be sitting in the cab out farming every, on every piece of equipment. As we kind of ease into this autonomous robotics thing, yeah, there are going to be some autonomous vehicles that are unmanned those are going to do certain jobs and there's going to be certain jobs that are going to be manned and obviously combine harvesting right now is where we're at with that but we're getting closer every day to, to be able to flip that switch so love this topic robert i'm glad that you could be on any final thoughts you want to throw out there before we shut the podcast down yeah i think that in the spirit of the book food 5.0 uh, how we feed the future that i wrote that is available on Amazon, there's a commercial. We need to communicate how advanced agriculture is to the broader public. In the book, I talk about if you say farm to a city person and a little red barn, round fendered pickup truck or a farmer in bib overalls is what comes to your mind, then that's a history channel. So we need to be able to communicate to the broader public how very sophisticated farming is today. And it is incumbent upon all of us to take a role in in feeding that information into the broader public. Because uh, as I've mentioned, the farms of consequence in this, in North America are like 0.2%. And that 0.2% almost has no voice politically. Uh, We have to get out there and communicate. And I mean, right now, if you put the topics of GMO, fertilizer, pesticide, or even robotics to a broader vote of the public and just said, to ban it or not to ban it, yes or no, 
you know, GMO, pesticides, fertilizer, maybe even robotics would all be banned because the public is ignorant about the importance of them in agriculture. So let's all get out there and tell the agricultural story. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Robert. And that's one of those things that it is amazing when you sit and ask somebody like, you know, these tractors drive themselves or how much actual technology is on the farm, whether it be satellite technology or water probe technology or verbal fertilizing, seeding and all that kind of stuff. It, it's not just some mom and pop thing anymore. It's a legit business with legit people running it and, and making very educated decisions on how to operate their business and what they're going to do next year. So it's a bigger system than what people think it is. Absolutely. Well, enjoyed being on Moving Iron. If people want to follow me personally, my Twitter is at R-S-A-I-K, at R-S-A-I-K. And uh, they can also go to at C-S-E-E-D-O-T-Run, C-dot-Run. Right on. Robert, appreciates being on the podcast, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Casey and Robert. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash AskTheExpert. Submit a question, and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Robert, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.